Welcome to the Kernel DeFi Podcast. My name is Sean Demantha, and I'm here to explore the past, present, and future of the DeFi industry with you. In this episode, we talk with Dawson Botsford, who is the founder of Earnify and a longtime Web2 and Web3 developer. Dawson talks about his experience with hackathons, how to successfully win hackathons, build your projects past the life of a hackathon and turn them into a real business. If you're sitting on the sidelines wondering how you can turn some of your ideas into real businesses, into real working Web3 projects, you do not want to miss some of Dawson's advice. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hey, Dawson, thanks for coming on the podcast. Really excited to have you here. I think you are our first Twitter-sourced guest today, and I know we're going to actually be on your podcast in a couple of weeks. But before we get started, I wanted to learn a bit more about your background, what brought you into Web3, into uh, indie hacking and building a solo business and love to hear that arc of the journey before we get into some of the larger topics around how you went from kind of hackathons into building real tangible businesses. But first, let's start with your story. Always love to hear your story and your background. Yeah, Sean, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about my background here and how other folks uh, might be able to follow similar steps to really grow something uh, impactful. So what I've made is Earnify, it's the airdrop checker, I indie hacked this together, so uh, we'll get into all those details later. But for now, let's talk about, you know, how did I get to this point? And the simple answer is I'm a nerd and I've always been a nerd. (laughs) But of course, that doesn't have the nuance of how did I, uh, you know, learn Web3 skills. Web3 skills are harder to come across. And so uh, for myself, I got into Web2 over 10 years ago. I just got obsessed with building public things on GitHub and also just websites, you know, started easy, started slow, was really confused and uh, unsure how to do this all at first, but then with eventual, uh, with enough time and going to hackathons, I just saw that this was something that I could thrive in. And so just battling that imposter syndrome uh, is something that's really important to learn early because in web three, all of us have imposter syndrome to some amount. There's always things we don't know. And so I really pushed into that and yeah, I just developed web two, web 2.5, then like web three skills. It, it seems like a lot of web two skills can translate to web three, uh, particularly around kind of front end development, right? So if you think about a react JavaScript development, that, uh, that seems to be a really critical skill, smart contract development, probably a little bit harder for folks who are not familiar with that, um, aspect of things. And I'm wondering if you find anything particularly useful to get comfortable uh, building in uh, on the, the Web3 backends and in terms of smart contracts and the like. And uh, two, if, what, how did you start to build that confidence and overcome some of that kind of imposter syndrome you, you talked about? I, I think I, I had something similar when I first approached three, it's just like, oh, there's just so much to learn. How do I learn everything? And everything is changing basically every hour. <laughs> so love to hear your thoughts on those topics. Yeah, everything is changing every hour. Uh, and, and learning to make that actually something that is motivating instead of demotivating, it's probably something I would recommend everyone to work towards. 
because having everything change every hour is actually a gift. You know, if, if everything's changing every hour and you're the one who's plugged into that, you're probably going to stay on the bleeding edge and you're going to learn more uh, faster than someone who is busy elsewhere or who is not as dedicated. So I'd say that if you get obsessed and you learn to just be interested and love what you're seeing on crypto Twitter or Reddit or just wherever you get your news from, um, maybe this podcast even, if you learn to love that, then it's just a matter of time until you know more about a, a certain area than most other people. Um, so for me, as you mentioned, I came from the Web2 side with front-end React and JavaScript. I used to be only a front-end developer, uh, but I was a very advanced React developer. So I, I used to do consulting with YC companies that were going through uh, the YC, Y Combinator badges and just helped found the engineering at these various companies. And so I, I knew React well, and I knew uh, JavaScript and TypeScript really well. And so I used that as my launching point, which is that when I got into Web3, I wasn't going to try to write advanced smart contracts on day one. Instead, I learned to plug into existing smart contracts. And it turns out that the, the way you do that in code is actually so similar to the way that you already connect to other APIs and the way that you already connect to databases, reading and writing. And so just finding the similarities between what you already know and what you're trying to learn can really help folks go from, I'd say, intermediate to advanced. Um, from beginner to intermediate, all the advice there would be learn to love something, go to hackathons, find a mentor, find some friends. But definitely intermediate to advanced, I would say, the key there is to branch off of what you know and keep building on that. I think that seems to be a common theme in Web3, even if you look at some of the most prominent protocols, like, uh, for example, the announced DAO protocol is, is built off of, my understanding is Compound and Zora's auction uh, mechanism and Compound's governance uh, smart contract. So in a way, you're always building on the shoulders of uh, greatness before you. So you don't always have to reinvent the wheel to a certain degree. And I, I wanted to learn a bit more about your experience with hackathons and how how they might have helped you find your groove. I know that you've won a few hackathon prizes and then uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but that uh, Earnify also came out of a hackathon as well. And you, you've it turned did. that into a real business as well. And wanted to hear your perspective on like starting to see uh, so, so, so what is Dawson's formula for success in, in a hackathon, first of all? And then uh, what is uh, maybe Dawson's law number two of turning a hackathon project into a real kind of thriving business? Yeah, the question of how to win a hackathon is a funny one because there actually are some uh, pretty straightforward steps that, you know, if you take care of these, your chances of succeeding are going to be way higher. And before I get into that, I think, Something to caveat, folks, if that makes you feel a little, uh, I don't know, off-putted. If I'm saying like how to win, just think about it as how to get folks to care about the thing that you care about or how to do organic marketing. These are all kind of the same question, which is like, how do you show people your true vision? How do you make people agree and feel what you feel about why the thing you're making should exist? Um, and so it's super useful, whether you're going to be at a hackathon or whether you're going to be pitching a VC, um, you're going to be pitching an accelerator. These are all really similar concepts because in a way, 
the VCs are just the judges at the hackathon. And in a way, the judges at the hackathon are just the the partners at a VC that you're pitching to. Um, and in Web3, it actually is a bit that way where sometimes the judges are seed or venture investors on the side. But uh, I'm straying off because I would love to get to some details of it, which is that um, a, a few quick tips for how you can make sure your projects are understood by others is you want them to look good. You want them to work well. Uh, making something look good and work well on websites specifically is going to be one of the easiest ways. If you're doing this with a mobile app, uh, there's a little bit less freedom there. And so with web, you can pull in a lot of shared libraries um, and then plug into a lot of existing things out in the world versus on a mobile app, you've got to go through the app store and all of that. So that's why I always recommend building websites. If you are very new to hackathons, uh, yeah, just iterating with JavaScript and React and all of that is going to be simpler than a native app. After you've made it look good, you really want to make sure it, it works well. So have a quick demo in mind. Uh, have something planned out for what you're going to say, how you're going to say it to show off the vision. Like, why is what you're making important? If you don't show that energy to people, they're not going to feel that energy any stronger than you did when you made it. So let's say you've just spent 24 hours in a hackathon. Show them why this thing was just worth one day of your life. Like our lives are not that long. An entire day is actually quite a bit. And so showing them why this idea matters really is going to be the overarching theme you need to make sure you keep in mind. If you can communicate that, if folks can understand why this matters, you are good to go there. So, so what I hear is a leaning a bit more on a product positioning design skills to convey that message, right? And convey, convey that to your audience and, and. What I'm hearing is that keep in mind your audience are the judges who have different backgrounds, maybe different um, interests. They they oftentimes, my understanding is, uh, yeah, depending on the hackathon, they, they typically come from a protocol or, or the like. So being able to speak to that may be useful as well. Um, so let, let, let's say you, you, you do the pitch. Um, you get all the accolades, you win some prizes. Um, what what next? What what happens after that? Like I, I, I see so many projects that hatch out of hackathons which just like die off in the next few weeks. And how do you build momentum around that? Do you do you need a, a do you do you feel like you need a team? Um, I, I know that you've taken a solo journey with building out Earnify, but I know others feel like perhaps they need to keep that team and, and move it forward. What what are some of the decisions that go into, uh, at least from your perspective, in terms of taking that that idea forward and being like, okay, this is not just some weekend throwaway project that I created. This is something that can actually turn and in, into a real business and something that I can iterate on and build out. Yeah, I think that the indie versus team aspect is interesting because although I did things as an indie hacker, as an individual, I'd say that a team actually does help you stick to something. And so if, if folks are finding some motivation issues when they're solo, that's an awesome idea. And in fact, a lot of Y Combinator companies, they really encourage them to find a co-founder and they encourage them to find at least one co-founder. So that's like the first step, even though I'm an indie hacker, that's what I'm going to mention so for folks who may be feeling that, um, that's one possible solution. 
But another possible solution that is actually more important is going to be having conviction. So if you have really confident uh, feelings around the project you've made, you know that this thing should exist, then you can keep driving something um, for, you know, as long as your motivation lasts. And I'll give a real world example, which is that uh, we mentioned Earnify. I kept building it after the hackathon. But what folks don't see is that I've done five other hackathons during that same time period. And I continue to go to these ETH global or otherwise uh, hackathons. And some of the projects, when I go in, I know that I'm building something for fun or I'm building something to learn. But then there's other times where I'm going in to build something where I know I will continue on this. And so from the start, I already have my mind set up in that way. And I'm already going to build out the readme. I'm already going to build out the instructions there for folks to go use this. Got it. So it's it, what, what I hear is almost like some experiment, experimental hackathons where you're testing out a new technology, a new idea. Um, but perhaps that, that conviction can help you overcome some of the, at least initial drop-off that you may experience after the hackathon high of winning a prize and, and the like. And I, um, I realize being an indie hacker also sometimes means you, you wear many, many different hats simultaneously, right? So it's not just coding, right? You're, you're, uh, you're marketing, you're, uh, maybe doing customer support or, um, engagement with that audience. There's many other aspects, maybe some of the back of the house business items around accounting and, and the like. And I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on like, did you come in with some of those skills like outside of development and if you didn't, how hard was it to pick those skills up? Um, and I'm trying to speak specifically to some of the developers in our audience who might be purely focused on kind of the technical side of things, but maybe less comfortable with picking up all the other things that are required to run a business, even as a solo, uh, as, a, as an indie hacker like yourself. So I'd um, love to hear how that uh, skill set evolved, maybe if you already had it, and how people can kind of continue to improve on those skills. The good news is that I did not have that going in. So there's hope for you out there. If you're feeling the way Sean just described, if you're a developer who just loves to be heads down in code, but you are interested in being an entrepreneur, there is hope, which is that you learn as you go and you learn what you need to, when you need to, if you try to go out and learn, let's say every step about M and a mergers and acquisitions, but you've never you haven't yet started something you're going to be, for instance, preemptively learning things that might fill up your time when instead you could be learning, uh, how do you connect to a smart contract? How do you work with DeFi, for instance? And so you learn these things in order based upon what pressures you feel upon your project or your business. And so for myself, uh, you know, I did not know much accounting, especially crypto based accounting. And to be honest, very few people in the world know about that. Uh, so finding peers or mentors on that is, is just not that practical. And so what I did instead is I, I focused on the business. I took care of the accounting as best as I could. And then as the business becomes profitable, hire proper CPAs, you know, these are some of the world-class, uh, some of the best world-class CPAs because of how complex crypto transactions can be. Uh, but, but that's not a problem that doesn't at that skill level have to be something I worry about. 
because as you start to make something successful, the goal is that you're going to have some revenues that you can then use to take care of certain expertise because you can't be world-class on every single part of your business. That's a good thing because that means you can outsource some of that and be world-class in the parts that really matter. How important was it to find a crypto native expertise as you were you talking about sourcing some of this expertise outside? I know that peculiar, peculiarities around accounting and legal issues in particular have been very thorny, difficult to solve issues within the crypto world. And I know that there are consequences if you don't get some of it right. Uh, sometimes it's larger consequences depending on the scale and regulatory complexity of the projects you're, you're working on. But um, how important has it been for you to get like, crypto native experience versus like, oh, there's this uh, kind of CPA who can kind of figure it out uh, accounting wise or like a, a JD a lawyer who can give some generic advice. Yeah, I'd say as I respond to this, I'm going to preface with this is not financial advice and this is not legal advice. Um, I am neither. Of yeah, course, I'm a developer on this. And my <laughs> point of view on it would be that um, it is very important if your product takes off. And so if you're going to become something larger in the space, which at this point, my product Earnify is quite large. There's 250,000 people that trust it for email notifications. There's anywhere between 10 and 100,000 visitors per day. Now it's at the point where it is something that has to be operating properly, above the line, fully compliant uh, and legal. Uh, that said, when you are a newer project, there's a little bit of wiggle room in that maybe you do things and you do your accounting uh, just a little bit more casual for six months. But before you file your taxes, uh, maybe at the six month mark, you've actually found some success in your business. You can retroactively uh, clean those books. So you can go back and fix a few of those things. So I would say for folks, uh, if you're starting out, don't stress about it. Do get a proper legal entity, get a LLC, uh, make sure you have those basic provisions. But um, yeah, as far as a you know high powered CPA or, or a legal counsel, like you mentioned, um, there's a few things you can do to just get by if you are an indie hacker. Yeah, that, it, what I'm hearing is it depends on the scale and like how how big you expect this to become as well. So if this is just like always going to be like a little side project, of course, don't worry about it. <laughs> the, the implications aren't going to be that high. You're probably not going to get the SEC or any other regulatory agency to come after you, <laughs> depending on what you're doing. Um, I'd love to learn a bit more about Earnify for the folks in the audience who are not as familiar with the the business and to also learn how you went from hackathon to what I see as, and correct me if I'm wrong, some level of product market fit in terms of uh, the scale of your overall user base and the number of people who return on a, on a daily basis if we're using kind of Web2 metrics to, to, to drive that. Uh, product market fit and also describing, uh, it, it would be great to just understand how you think about the business model of Earnify, which is built around my understanding is airdrop notifications. Um, and you, you talked about email notifications, which makes me also want to learn more about like, it, this is kind of more in the web 2.5 business model area. Um, and 
love to hear your thinking around like building a web 2.5 business versus like a web three business where, Hey, our business model is we're going to build a token and, and, and exit the community and uh, find a way to make sustainable revenues. So I realize I asked a lot in there, but I think the, the key points are, um, what is Earnify? How did you find product market fit? Um, if you're able to share on that and um, how did you balance thinking about a web 2.5 versus like a web three business model? Yeah, Sean, you're spot on about it being a web 2.5 company. Um, I'll describe kind of the subscription and tech stack in a second. But uh, to start it out, what is Earnify? Earnify is your best friend that happens to know about every airdrop and lets you know when you have money to go claim. So for folks that don't know about airdrops, these are token distribution events. When a new protocol launches, they want to reward people. They want to reward folks both in their community and potentially in competitor communities or outside communities. And they reward you with free tokens. And Earnify specializes in no spam, high value tokens. So these examples would be like Uniswap, OneInch, ENS. You know, at the moment ENS came out, most folks had 8,000 USD or higher. Uh, with Uniswap, it was 2,000 uh, USD. With yeah, OneInch, it was across the board. Most folks were again above one or 2,000 USD. So we're talking about very high value uh, information here. And this information is actually something most folks miss. So if you've been in crypto for a while, it's likely that not only do you follow a lot of different areas within the crypto industry on Twitter and Reddit, but it's likely you also have multiple wallets and checking multiple wallets for multiple airdrops is very difficult, let alone knowing about every single airdrop. So what Earnify does is Earnify sends you an email notification if you match a new airdrop, or it allows you to load up and view your current airdrops right this second that are unclaimed. And it's really important to find what's unclaimed as well, because whenever a smart contract is out there for an airdrop, it can have an expiration. And about 25 to 50% of airdrops have these expirations, after which it's gone forever. So I myself have actually, even as I'm running Earnify, let a few slip. Uh, like Earnify let me know, it was just that I was lazy to go claim it. And, you know, forever onward, there's $80 of DAP radar token gone. Like it was me, for me to claim and I did not. Uh, so this is something folks can also see on Earnify. There's a section that says expired forever. And that's just to show you that it, this does happen. This is something that you should sign up for Earnify to get notified. Uh, and, and a caveat on the pricing model, you can sign up for free. You can put in two Ethereum addresses for free, and you will still get email notifications when you match a new airdrop for free. But those email notifications, if you're a free customer, they are hidden behind the payment structure, the premium model. So now we're going on to the web 2.5 side. And also what I just mentioned is really key towards this product market fit that Earnify has found, which is that if you're gonna charge folks a subscription model in USD, uh, which you could pay in USD or crypto with Earnify, but, but anyways, if you're going to charge folks with a credit card, you better be providing a lot of value. And so what Earnify does is it, it, it shows that exact US dollar amount you have unclaimed, such that you always know that it would be worth it to sign up for a premium. And there's a great refund system as well. If there's anything wrong, which happens less than 1% of the time, 
but it's a uh, spend money to earn money kind of system. And if you want to ignore it, that's fine. It'll, it'll happen. Maybe it'll expire. Maybe the smart contract will get hacked or maybe it'll sit unclaimed. But maybe, maybe that expiration is actually something you want to avoid. Or, or maybe you want to go research it on your own. You're also welcome to use the interface to see that you do have something unclaimed. And then go search Twitter and Reddit till your heart's content, which I find to be a very difficult way to find airdrops. But of course, if I do the work for you and that time is worth it, signing up for NFI may be worth it for you. It seems like you've developed quite a bit of expertise in airdrops. And uh, I'm just shifting topics a little bit from the uh, hackathon to business and really just trying to better understand Earnify and some of the topical knowledge that you have. And I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on one, are airdrops a sustainable model for crypto projects to grow? And what I hear is that there's multiple goals for airdrops. One is to uh, kind of provide that early financial utility so people stay. Uh, before there's actual DAP level utility or product level utility uh, to potentially introducing new participants. And it's almost like paid marketing to a certain degree. Um, what, what do you think crypto projects should use airdrops for? And do you think this is sustainable over the, the long term? Um, and, and I'd love to also hear what you think are, is the future of this, of this part of the crypto industry as well. Yeah, these are all really important questions to answer if you're going to run an airdrop, if you're going to operate an airdrop, or if you're going to claim an airdrop as well. You need to understand and have some things in mind about, is this going to be long-term? So I'd say that there's a big split within airdrops that come out. Some are doing it for the right reasons. Uh, I'd say an example of this would be optimism. An example of this would be ENS, like Hop, Hop Protocol. These are all, I'd say, very ethical airdrops. These are communities that are going to be here for the long term, but more importantly, they have already been here and been usable and had product market fit. And that's going to be a big split you see within airdrops, um, which is that some folks do airdrops when they don't have anything yet. It's the idea of getting funding for your company before you have even done an MVP, a minimum viable product. It's just an idea or it's just a slide deck. And that's going to lead to way more price crashes. And it's going to lead to way more of this bad rap that airdrops get. And, and that latter half of the quality projects versus non, that's where I do my best and Earnify can push out notifications that I only agree are above a certain quality. And that is an area that you can get into a bit of a tricky situation because uh, that puts me as a gatekeeper. Um, but then again, within spam specifically and misinformation in crypto specifically, I do not see that decentralized well at this point in August of 2022. So the, the most effective way I know to decrease spam and remove these Ponzi schemes from your mailbox, at least, is to have a trusted counterparty that seeks out and filters these things, who has an expertise within airdrops, as you mentioned, I have. Uh, you know, I've watched every single airdrop on the Ethereum mainnet 
and all of its layer twos happen since the start of 2021, which is very, very rare <laughs> to have seen. There's over 90 of them. Yeah, I, I think there's both this notion of understanding what airdrops you qualify for based on past activity. And there's also this notion of airdrop farming, right? So doing almost uh, kind of mundane activities on specific chains or protocols in the anticipation of a token airdrop. So I think some pretty prominent examples are MetaMask, if you do a swap, like people have this perception that you'll get the MetaMask token. Um, that's been confirmed or the like. Um, similarly, for some of the L2s, which don't have tokens, like Arbitrum, which has one of the highest, I think the highest TBL within the Ethereum L2 ecosystem, doesn't quite have a token yet, but there's rumors of an airdrop. And I, I, I wanted to hear your perspective on is it worthwhile folks engaging in these activities to, uh, <laughs> to basically anticipate uh, these these future awards? And uh, I know that there's like a whole kind of set of Twitter threads and sub sub crypto Twitter community focused on earning these future airdrops. And then to how do people think about once they claim these airdrops? to hold or kind of buying, because I know even you, you mentioned Optimism was one of the uh, more exemplar airdrops because they had some level of product market fit. But I, I did notice that as a participant in the Optimism airdrop as well. And the day of that, that token just crashed <laughs> through the floor, right? So, um, and it's seen some increases uh, recently in terms of price because of liquidity incentives it's introduced, but um, yeah, curious to hear your thoughts about folks kind of doing this perspective airdrop farming and how they think about using those tokens and whether or not they care about that community. And to farm or not to farm, that's the question. And I think that my answer to that would be, if you're going to farm, be an organic farmer. So this is, uh, you know, an analogy to the food system we have. If you're going to farm and use 100 bot accounts to do fake TVL, to do fake trading that is just cycling between them, not only will you get caught, uh, this is something that happened in the hop airdrop. So hop drop, it was the first of its kind that did a really incredible job of weeding out and removing folks that were doing purposeful farming. They had an astounding amount of folks they captured and, and excluded. I believe Optimism did the same, or even they may have shared a data set. And so we're getting to the point that data is, uh, you know, public enough and found effectively about airdrops that you could just easily get on a blacklist forever if you do certain activities from a wallet. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if someone published uh, an Optimism and Hop farmer list for folks to very easily exclude those addresses from all future airdrops. So I'd say that if you're gonna farm in that way, uh, you know, let it be your own business. I'm not gonna be a part of that. I'm not interested in that. I've never done that. Uh, but what I have done, I would say is organic farming, which is that before ENS came out, I was like, well, I want a few cool ENS names. Geez, these prices are a little expensive. And then in my head, I said, that's okay. This is worth it to both support the Ethereum community 
have a cool name, and who knows, maybe there will one day be an airdrop. That last sentence is really important, I think, for all of us who are here for the right reasons, because that's also how you're going to actually get high-value airdrops. Because if you're going to move um, a substantial or or any amount of your money that you really care about, it should be within something you actually trust, or at least believe in the future of it enough to know that your money is going to that place. Um, we're not just playing games here with pixels. We're playing games here with our finances. And so with ENS, as mentioned, I thought that was trustworthy enough. And I was interested in having a cool .eth. And then that did pay out more than 10 times uh, with what I got in the airdrop. So I'd say for folks looking to do that, definitely consider uh, consider looking legitimate and and doing legitimate activities only. And if you need suggestions for the most legitimate methods, I actually have a list of this on Earnify on the learn page, which is airdrop strategies. This would be fully organic, maybe just one wallet, maybe a few wallets, but these are real things to go get. One example is the Gitcoin passport. I really believe that that may unlock something in the future uh, based upon folks plugging into it. And if no one else plugs into it, hey, you're an early adopter. You learned something new. You've got something cool in your wallet. And it's already on a layer two anyways. Uh, it's on Polygon, so it's not going to be expensive either. Definitely. So uh, focus on, if I'm going to summarize what I'm hearing from you, focus on the projects with the, which resonate with you, which actually deliver value to you, uh, where you might actually organically spend money on them, like ENS names. And um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially as you talked about projects that have some level of product market fit beforehand and doing the airdrop are much more sustainable than those that don't. And just start off with the airdrop without any anything more tangible. Yeah, absolutely. Than on that same note, real quick, I did want to follow up on the question you asked to sell or not to sell, uh, which is, I'd say for a product, a project that you believe in, um, you know, not financial advice, I keep those. I claim the airdrop and I keep them. Uh, for projects that maybe you don't trust or don't believe in, you know, do, are you going to be happy about having that token when it's worth zero in a year? If it's going to zero? So think ahead in your mind, will this thing really have value in the future? As you think about the, the future of Earnify, um, I, I realize you probably have to ruthlessly prioritize as a indie hacker, right? In terms of what you built and got to ruthlessly focus on solving very high pressing problems for users, um, high need areas. What, what do you think the future entails for Earnify if you're able to share? I, I can think of so many different things like tax implications that users have to worry about when claiming an airdrop uh, in, in terms of income, uh, income tax immediate and long-term capital gains if they hold it. And then I can also think of projects viewing airdrops as a paid marketing opportunity, a push notification opportunity as well. And I, I don't know if you're already doing some of this or you have have that in the works, but we'd love to hear the, like, where, where do you go say from that here? As of today in August, 2022, there is no paid, uh, there are no paid notifications. There are no protocols that have paid to send out notifications. Uh, that's not strictly against my ethics, but it, it gets into a, an area that I want to be very careful with. And so that's why I'm saying that I'm proud of it today. Uh, that may not always be the case, but it is always first in my mind that there will only be 
ethical and valuable notifications sent out to folks. And that's actually something I've experienced more than ever in the last two months is projects reaching out that want to use the Earnify network to push out notifications. So far, as mentioned, I've, I've worked with zero of those folks. It is something that I think could be a very good future direction to push Earnify. Because there are actually a lot of other areas that are teams that have a lot of marketing spend that also have valuable things. Uh, one example I'd say, so, so I work with Poop. Uh, the Poop integration's fully free, part, like it's not a paid partnership in any way. Um, there's over a thousand Poop tokens you can check on Earnify in one text box. Uh, so this would be an example. Like if there was a Poop 2, like if there was another organization that had the same type of ethics as Poop that launched today, uh, adding that integration is not easy or, or instant for me. You know, if there's, if they're a venture capital funded company that wants to push out notifications and collaborate with someone like Earnify, definitely would be something I would consider. Um, so that, so that's one direction, but that's on the business side on the, on the, I use crypto and I want to know what Earnify will be in the future. I've got great news, which is that I'm going to continue to push out valuable notifications, new types of notifications. So one that I added in the last six months was expiring ENS domains. So for any ENS domain you have saved on Earnify, you'll get an email before it expires, and then you'll get an email while it's in the grace period, such that you can always go refresh it and up your ENS name, which is super important. Seeing your ENS names expire is tragic. It's something that is a solved problem. We know how to push notifications and we know how to check on chain if your ENS is about to expire. So we just put these two together uh, within a system like Earnify where you are already adding your addresses for these value-based notifications. Um, another recent partnership was with EPNS. This is the decentralized Ethereum push notification service. And this allows you to receive notifications on your mobile phone uh, without even having your email address set up. So anyone who matches these airdrops will get push notified uh, directly through. And then you'll know when you have unclaimed airdrops that way. So what I'm hearing is uh, email is still a useful tool despite <laughs> us trying to kill it off. Yeah, we've done our best, but I don't know if we can ever <laughs> like really kill it off. I definitely did my best before starting Earnify. Uh, now I see the value actually is just to know what to unsubscribe from. Fair enough. Um, as we start to wrap up, I had two final questions for you. One was understanding how you think about scaling Earnify from a kind of investment perspective. So what I'm hearing is that you're of, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're bootstrapping it off of revenue. And have you, I'm, I'm curious to hear if you've thought of other funding mechanisms, either non-dilutive or kind of traditional venture funding or other sources to, to grow Earnify, um, to cover some of the gaps in that you mentioned that you maybe don't specialize in, for example, and uh, growing it into maybe a larger business. And Love to hear your thought process behind that, especially as folks think about like, do I want to be this venture funded business where there's this huge pressure to like hit this 10X milestone in the next 12 to 18 months? Or is there a more sustainable growth pattern that, that, you, that they can pursue? And it seems like you've chosen the latter, but love to hear your thoughts. As a responsible operator, that. I do think it's mandatory that you consider every option. And so I have considered every option. 
you know, when Earnify first launched, I considered venture capital. Uh, I've considered other type of equity uh, and and liquidity events with different potential partners. Uh, at this point, clearly, as mentioned, I'm still a sole operator. But I do think it really matters if you think about what you want your business to become. Because if you're the operator, that's your job. Your job is to drive the business to that point, uh, to, to that location you think it can become. Uh, so my vision for what Earnify could become one year ago is only slightly different than what it is today. I've kept the scope as something that one person can do alone up to this point. And my goal was to do that, uh, make that one thing, which is finding and notifying airdrops, make it world-class, make it the best. Um, I, I do think I'm continuing to succeed at that at the moment. If we were to look at the metrics, I think that's why it backs that up, that opinion. Um, but but if, if, for instance, my goal was to be the DeFi dashboard, where you also had airdrop notifications, that would require a team. That would require VC funding. That would require, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could do a token sale, but then we're getting to the same thing of ethical versus unethical. You know, if I was, if I didn't yet have product market fit as a DeFi dashboard, does it make sense to launch a token? I'm not sure. I can't answer that, but uh, I do think that the, the size, the goals you create for yourself directly correlate to which funding mechanisms you may need. So as mentioned, I do recurring subscriptions and everything in the business is currently funded that way, bootstrapped. Got it. Um, the, the final question I have for you, it's a two-parter is one, do you have any last words of advice for our audience that you'd recommend steps for them to take to build more tangible steps to creating a business or creating a, a project that has long-term value. And then two, if you have any asks. For yeah, the our... advice I would give folks is that passion beats everything. If you're finding that you're not having fun, you're exhausted, or you're just not interested in what you're working on, listen to that. Do not let that go on too long. I believe it's one of the YC folks that says, uh, if he feels that way, it's either five mornings in a row or, or more. I can't remember what he said. If he feels that kind of lack of drive in life, at the moment he wakes up for more than five days in a row, he completely jumbles and changes everything. He steps out of the projects he's in. He goes away if possible. He takes a day off, like any of these steps. So you know what excites you. And what excites you is different than what excites everyone else. You know, you, you are unique. And I think leaning into your uniqueness and your passions is where you find all of the fun, fulfillment, and joy in life. Just be weird and be proud of it. <laughs> like Go build the weird thing you want as best as you possibly can. Uh, and then, yeah, asks is that, you know, if you are technical, please check out my podcast, Dev3. It's dev3.fm. Uh, it's a podcast for developers and Web3 and just folks who are building. I recently had on someone who, who uses no code tools. And so uh, whether you're physical, uh, physically coding day to day or not, I'd love to have you over in that community in addition, which I know, Sean, you'll be speaking on that podcast soon too. So it'll be a great crossover. And I appreciate you giving me the time today. Yeah, well, thank you, Dawson, once again, for coming on the podcast. Excited to come on your podcast very soon and uh, be a guest for uh, 
for uh, one of the few times I have been a guest, <laughs> but um, really great pieces of advice, follow your passion. Um, so many nuggets during this whole conversation. And if people want to stay in touch with you, the best, Dawson, what's the best way to do find so? the punk on Twitter. So I've got my crypto punk as my profile photo. It's got the funny handlebar mustache, just like me. The Twitter is Dawson Botsford. That's D-A-W-S-O-N. B-O-T-S-F-O-R-D. And through there, you can find Earnify and everything else. So again, my Twitter, Dawson Botsford, is going to be the best place. All right. Well, thanks again, Dawson. 